you to listen to me for just a moment before we pray. And I want to remind us, this is a reminder, not new information to any church member, but I see a lot of new faces today. And so I want to remind us that we gather together as a local church weekly in this way, and we do that to praise and honor and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We want to honor Him. We want to worship His holy name. We just did that. And that doesn't stop now. Now we turn the corner and we want to be addressed by the Christ that we love, by the Christ that we worship. And so this is what we do. Every week we gather around God's Word, the Holy Scriptures. that We believe that these words, all Scripture, is breathed out by God. And so what we've been doing for the past several weeks is we've been studying through Colossians together. And I want to remind us that on a human level, we can do that without any help from God. I want you to be warned by that. I want you to be reminded of that. That if God were, were to withdraw His Holy Spirit from this room, we could talk facts about Colossians all day. Okay? This is why we remind each other often that we want to open God's Word and we want to hear from God. We want to hear God speak to us. So we can talk about these words, but we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Help me to speak. Help us to hear. We won't feel the right stuff unless the Holy Spirit drives His Word into our heart. We won't see the things that we're supposed to see. And this is why we bow the knee, right? Before we read the passage, before we explain it, before we talk about it, and I preach it to you, we stop and we ask God to do what? Lord, help us. Help us. That's what we're about to do. And I want everybody in the room to join me in that. That God would reach down this morning and graciously speak to every person in this room. We can trust Him for that. We can trust Him for that. We can trust God to use His Word. So with that, let's pray together. Let's bow the knee to Christ and let's pray together this morning. Lord, we tell you as a local church this morning that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in you, Holy Spirit. We worship you, Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to come this morning and we want to confess our weakness in our flesh to you, God. We want to remind ourselves in your holy presence that we believe your word, that we can't do anything apart from you. Lord, we believe when you told us that your spirit was willing, but our flesh is weak. We believe that, Lord. We believe that you stand ready in this moment to speak to us from heaven, to help us to hear your word. And so we ask for your forgiveness. God, help us to hate the sin of self-reliance and, and trusting in the strength of our flesh to hear from You, to know Your words. God, forgive us for every time we open Your book and we don't trust in Your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for that sin. Put it far away from us, Lord, and help us today. Give us power from on high, we pray. God, let Your Word come in our life with power and with full conviction. Many times, Lord, we know what it's like to read things and for them not to land on us, God. 
For every believer in this room, we know the opposite. Lord, we know what it's like to hear from you. And you arrest our attention. When you drive your words into our hearts. When you pierce us with your truth. We ask you to do that today. We ask you to meet us in that way every week when we gather as a local church, Lord. Let supernatural things happen. As your word is preached. As your word is heard. God, remove blindness. Remove coldness to Jesus Christ. Help us, Holy Spirit. Lord, we gather in your presence today and we come with worship. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We are your church. And I amen that encouragement that you gave us through Ryan this morning. That you have loved us with an everlasting love. Lord, help us to remember it as we come to your word that you have loved us, Lord. To the very end, you have loved us. And Lord, I confess that we are an unworthy people. We do not deserve to be loved by you, but you loved us still, Lord. And you tell us that there was a time in our life where we had no hope and we had no God, but you loved us, Lord. You loved us in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our wickedness, you loved us. Lord Jesus, we worship you as the one who could have given us wrath and eternal punishment, but you gave us the cross instead. Lord, we worship you for that. We worship you for your great love that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I think about many times in your life in this world where you could have turned your back on us. And said, enough with you. I've had enough with you. But you tell us that you turn your face. You set your face to Jerusalem. And you basically ran to your cross to die for our sins. And when all of hell came against you, Lord, in the garden. And you were assaulted in a moment of time. You submitted yourself to the Father's will. And you went to the cross on our behalf. And in that garden of agony, you could have turned your back on us, Lord. We had nothing in us that merited your love and your grace. But you still went to the cross for us. And we worship you, Lord. And when you hung on that cross, they mocked you and said, If you're the king of Israel, come down from that cross. And you could have done it, Lord. And you could have said, I've had enough with you. But you loved us to the end. You have loved us. To the end. And you died for our sins. And we say thank you Lord Jesus. We love you. Because you first loved us. And we want to respond to you today. As your church. As your disciples. We want to respond to you today Lord. And so we ask you to help us. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Our text this morning. is Colossians chapter 2. I want you to go ahead and turn there. And we're going to read this together this morning. You have the ESV. I want you to read it out loud with me as I read it. Okay? Nothing, no knock against another translation. Just get real weird if we had uh, about five of those going at one time. I'll say this and I say it often. These are the most important words that you're going to hear in the next hour. 
by far, these are the words from God without error, hot breath from the mouth of the Holy Spirit. And so let's read this together. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. This is the Word of God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the Word of God to His church this morning. So we say just a few things before we begin to unpack this text together this morning. What does this passage show us just on the front end? Okay, And the first thing that we see here, and this is nothing new for most of you, is that the Christian life is not a standstill. Okay? It's not a neutral thing. It's in process. And the Christian life is not something that you can reach up and push the autopilot button. Okay? You can't coast or you will drift. You move forward or you will automatically drift backwards. And we see this here. Okay? And God frequently reminds us of that truth in His words. That this is not an autopilot. There's stuff for you to be doing. He frequently reminds us of that. By speaking to us in the language of imperative. Okay? That's the language of commandment in Scripture. And I think that would be a good reminder for all of us. Okay? That God does not just speak to us in the language of persuasion. He also speaks to us in the authoritative language of commandment. Commandment. And I think that's a good reminder for us because we live in a Christian culture with, with this tension between these two ditches. On the one hand, there's this version of Christianity that always and only talks about commandment keeping. Okay? And if you don't talk about commandment keeping in the context of the gospel, it is a powerless, Christless morality. Okay? And that's wrong. That's wrong. And you have this other ditch in, this, in our Christian culture that talks about the gospel only and never turns the corner to commandment keeping, to obeying the Christ that died for our sins. And so th this morning, we have a reminder in this passage that God, the God of Scripture, speaks in periods. He speaks to us demands, authoritative demands He lays on our life. And to those of us who belong to Jesus Christ, who are owned by Christ, who love Christ, those commandments should hit us and show us how God would have us to live. If you love Christ, you will keep His commandments. This is the simple truth that Jesus tells us in John 14 through 16. He repeats it three different times. If you love Christ, you will 
commandments. So you have these ditches on both sides and we want to walk right through the middle. We want to, we want to keep the commandments of Jesus in light of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We want to know. We love Jesus. We want to know how He would have us to live in this world. And these commandments show us that. They show us how God intends for us to live in the present tense. And my prayer as we walk through this passage together is that God would wake us up. That He would wake us up from any sleepiness in our life. And He would wake us up with these authoritative words. These authoritative demands that He lays on us. So let's back up. Just really brief. And let's remember where, where we are in Colossians. Okay? Last week, I've encouraged you to go back and listen to this. If you didn't hear Ryan teach last week, we stopped in verse 5. And we saw this local church is in, a, in the midst of a war. You remember that. There's, there's warfare language. There's a, there's a war happening around these Christians. It is a spiritual battle. And we are told that these Colossians are in the midst of that battle, that they're standing firm in the faith. And so we're jumping into a letter that we just got told that a war is, is, is broken out. A war is in place. And so we're parachuting down in the context that we're jumping into this morning is warfare. Okay? Warfare. This church is standing firm in the midst of warfare. Now, a lot of places in Scripture pull back the veil and show us that this unseen battle is raging all around us at, at every and any moment. You see that veil pulled back and you learn things about angels, demons, God and Satan. And they are, we're not alone in this world. There's a battle happening that we cannot see. So this is the context that we're jumping into this morning, this spiritual battle. And I want to put a sharper point on that spiritual battle. And I, I, I want you to feel this in your bones. What is that battle about? Okay. How does that battle rage? And here's how I want you to describe it. Here's what I want you to test this morning. Does the passage teach this? And more than anything else, that battle is a truth war. It is a battle of ideologies, a battle of truth, a battle of what men and women believe to be true. It's a battle for the souls of men and women. But those souls are won on the basis of this truth war. So the unseen spiritual battle that's raging all around us is a truth war truth war. And you see this theme in Colossians over and over again. You're reminded that there's a battle. And you're going to see it again today. And every believer needs to walk out of this room and you need to know there is an enemy coming after you. Personal. Not just us in a general sense. There are enemies coming after you. You're in a battle and you need to know that it's a truth war. Now, I will say this, the Christian life is warfare. That is not the only thing true of the Christian life. There are other dynamics, there are other, other metaphors, praise God, to describe the Christian life. It's not only warfare, 
But it's constant warfare. It's a dynamic and a metaphor that is always at play in the Christian life. And so if you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ and you never feel like you have walked through a spiritual minefield, if you have never had the veil pulled back in your life that, the, that you are in the midst of a raging battle, then you are asleep to this reality. And you need to ask God, and we need to ask God all over this room to wake us up to that stuff. Help us to feel not only that this is true in the Bible, but I want to know what's happening in my life. I want to know the attacks and the battle that's raging in my life. And that's what we want to ask God to do as we walk through His Word today. Let's start in verse 6 with the first commandment that we see in the passage. And it's simply this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Very simple reminder. Very simply worded commandment. That we are to continue on in the Christian life the same way we started. In the same way you received Christ the Lord. So walk in Him. So walk in Him. So if you're going to walk in Him the same way that you received Him, you need to know how you received Christ. And everybody that has ever received Christ received Christ the same way. So how did they receive Christ? And how do you receive Christ? And this is very clear in God's Word. Very clear in God's Word. They received Christ the same way every other Christian in history received Christ. By faith. By faith. We learn from chapter 1 that this local church of Christians, that they heard the true gospel of Jesus. And they believed it. God opened their eyes to their need for salvation from sin. They heard the message of Jesus Christ crucified Proclaimed, they were made aware of their need and they saw this glorious Savior had died for their sins and they believed it. They believed it by faith. The Word of God says when they received that message, they received a person. They didn't just receive the gospel, they received through that gospel, they received Christ Himself. Is that not a beautiful reminder to us this morning? God gave us more than a testimony about Himself. He gave us His Son. We have received Christ. We have Him. If we believe that gospel. They received Christ by faith. Faith is the only thing. Think about this. Faith is the only thing that the crucified and resurrected Lord of the universe responds to. He responds to nothing else. Nothing else joins you to Jesus Christ except faith in Christ. He doesn't respond to good works. He doesn't respond to tears of sorrow. He responds to faith in Him. Crucified and resurrected in your place. They believed Him. They received Him by faith. They received Him by faith. Listen to this. They also received Him. Look at the text. As Lord. They, re they receive Christ by faith as Lord. By faith as Lord. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. 
Listen to this quote. I think it's a good reminder for us. He says, Isn't it interesting to notice how the apostles preached the Lordship of Jesus Christ? The word Savior appears twice in the book of Acts. Yet, on the other hand, isn't it amazing to notice that the Lord, that the title Lord appears 92 times? Lord Jesus, 13 times. Lord Jesus Christ, six times in the same book. And he says the gospel of the apostles was this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. This means that saving faith is believing on the Lord of the universe. The master of all things. And for someone to believe Christ is for someone to receive Christ as the sovereign king of their life. Do you think the resurrected Lord would take any other place in somebody's life? This is the only thing he responds to. Faith in him as Lord. That's how they became Christians. That's how they received Christ. And then he turns the corner and he says... Same way that happened, walk in Him. Walk in Him. And the same way that you began, continue on in Christ. Continue on in Christ. The word walk there is a Jewish metaphor that means live. It's talking about the totality of your life. So after you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, everything after that, is to be described with these words. Walk in Christ. Walk in Christ. So I want you to think about that. You read the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. It's not the first time words like this have popped up in Holy Scripture. But it's different. The promises that we have in the Gospel are different than what God has offered. They're better than what God has offered Old Testament believers. So many of you are reading uh, a reading plan together at Grace Community Church and we're coming through the book of Genesis. Twice in that book, twice in that book, you have this metaphor show up. Early, early chapters of Genesis, you find out this man, there was a man named Enoch. Godly man. And what are we told about this man? He walked around this world, in this world, and what happened? He walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Just a few chapters later in the book of Genesis, you, you get a peek into this holy man, Abraham, a son of God. And you get a peek into his life. And God says this, walk before me. Enoch walked with God. Abraham walked before God. But Christians, listen to this. We walk in Christ. In Him. This is the language of union. He's not just in front of us. We're hooked to Jesus. And we are to live our entire life hooked to Him. Joined to Him. Like branches in a vine. Like branches in a vine. And you say, how do you do that? You continue to trust the Lord Jesus Christ just like you did in the very beginning. How does the branch stay hooked to the vine? That metaphor tells us we continue to trust. We continue to believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We depend on Him for everything. Our entire life, our entire walk in this world is toward Him. Hooked up to Jesus. Trusting Jesus in 
all things. Another way to say this is that we live a life of faith in Jesus Christ. That's the commandment. Live a life of faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to how it says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Is that not the only thing that makes sense? In light of one that has trusted Jesus for eternal salvation, that your next pivot for all of your days would be what? A life of faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave Himself for you. That's the commandment. Walk in Him. This is the walk of absolute dependence on Christ for everything. Absolute dependence on Jesus Christ for everything. Listen to these words. John 15, verse 5. Jesus really said this. Listen. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You are to depend on Jesus for everything. Walk in Him. Trust Him for pardon. Trust Him for provision. Trust Him for protection. Trust Him for power to live the Christian life. Trust Him for everything. Trust Him to work in your family. Trust Him to help you to work for His glory. Trust Christ for everything. Think about this. You trust Him continually as a Christian. You continually walk around this world and you trust in Christ for your pardon. That means you never slip into this dumb moment where you forget that He is the one that died for my sins. I have no chance of standing before God, the Holy God of Scripture in my own righteousness. None. I continue all of my days to trust in Jesus Christ for my pardon. This is the language of Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's somebody walking around in this world, drawing from those gospel promises and believing that God uh, in Christ put away my sin. Therefore what? No more condemnation. No more condemnation. That is a life of faith in Christ, continually trusting Him, not only for pardon, but also for protection. Protection. I'll just mention a few of these. You know how tempted we are to anxiety. You know how tempted we are to worry. And, and listen, you have a weak spot. And it's not the same thing all over this room. There can be places and corners in your life that begin to shake and you will be tempted towards anxiety. You will. Whatever that is for you, your possessions, your, your earthly security, your, your family, whatever that is, your reputation, you will be tempted towards anxiety. And we can trust Jesus Christ to protect us in every situation, to be with us, to be for us. This is one of the things that it means to walk in absolute confidence in Jesus Christ. Listen to how he says this promise in John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. 
My sheep hear my voice, and, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so there it is. There's a promise from the lips of Jesus Christ waiting for us to grab a hold of it in faith. You mean that we can actually believe that? Yeah, we can actually believe the words of Christ. We can trust Him to protect us in every single circumstance. No matter what happens in your life as a Christian, you can reach out and grab a hold of this rock. You will never perish. And no one will snatch you out of the hand of Jesus Christ. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. That's a life of continual faith in Jesus not only that, we can trust Him for power. I think this is missing in so many places in our life. Not only do we trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross, but what Jesus is doing for us right now. You know that. You can trust Him then. You can trust Him now. You can trust Him for all eternity. You can trust the living God in Christ for power. For power. And you know this. Romans chapter 6 heard this before, the same Christ that died and paid for your sins was resurrected in victory from the tomb. And Romans chapter 6 tells every single believer in this room, not only have you been joined to Christ in the likeness of His death, you have also been joined to, the, to Christ in the likeness of His resurrection. You can trust in Jesus Christ that He will give you His resurrection power. To live the Christian life. You can trust Him for that. In fact, listen to this commandment in Romans chapter 6. You're commanded to think this way as a believer. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You can trust Him for that. You can trust Him for power over sin. Where else are you going to go for that? And the answer is nowhere. Only Christ. And you can trust Him for that. As a believer, you can walk in Him. You can trust Him for everything. And not only for everything, we are to trust only Him. Remember that Lord part. He is the Lord and there is no other. And the theme that we've been continually bumping into in Colossians is the theme of supremacy. And so when we're talking about walking in Him, we're talking about walking in Him and you going nowhere else. Nowhere else. That you're hooked to Jesus and not going after anything else in this world. He has the supremacy in our life. Now, the next verse, verse 7, it puts some meat on this metaphor. That metaphor is a commandment, walk in Him. The next verse puts some meat on that, and it gives us four participles. And what it does is it, is it illustrates for us what would it look like if a disciple of Jesus actually obeyed that commandment in verse 6. It sketches out for us what obedience to the commandment in verse 6 looks like. It looks like this. A life of faith in Jesus Christ produces these things. And we get four snapshots. 
and verse 7. Let's run through these together. Look at the first one. Living by faith in Christ looks like this. It looks like being rooted in Christ. Being rooted in Christ. Now, that's the only participle of the four in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense means this. A completed past action with ongoing results in the present. And what does that mean? That means that this, this word, planted, rooted, is drawing our minds into the past that something happened back there once for all that affects my here and now, forever. Rooted. That is a metaphor. It's an agricultural metaphor. And you know what it's describing? Christian conversion. One time forever. The Bible compares being converted to Christ to someone being planted in Jesus. Planted like a tree in Jesus Christ. This is the metaphor. The person who walks by faith in Christ, they know that that has happened to them. They know that they are planted one time forever in Jesus. They know it. They're not wavering back and forth. They're trusting the promises of Christ. They are walking in Him. They are living a life of complete dependence in Christ. And they know that they have been planted like a tree in the soul of Jesus Christ. Now what does that metaphor mean? That once that happens, once that plant goes down in the soul, Jesus becomes to them a source of stability and a source of nourishment forever. Just like a soul to a root system. So you think about this. God's Word is reminding you today that you are a branch. If you are in Christ in this room, you are a branch plucked from the fire and you are planted in Jesus Christ. This is the same language in Psalm 1, verse 3. Listen. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all He does, He prospers. So you think about this. Unless you know that, that this has happened to you, you can't move forward. You cannot progress on unless you know that that's true about you. Because you can't go talking about the fruits of the Christian life if you don't have the root planted in Christ. Do you see that? You cannot move forward until this is a settled issue for you. Are you in Jesus Christ or are you not? Are you in Christ or are you not? Think about that. You can try for the rest of your life to live the Christian life. And if that's not true about you, you will, dis- you will see no power. You will see no fruit because you're not looked up to Jesus. So I'll give you a, met- a, a little illustration. And I've shared this with many of you. Trying to live the Christian life without Christ. Trying to live the Christian life without a new heart. Without being regenerated by God the Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine that you, your job was a janitor. And that you your, your full time job every single day of every single week of your life was to vacuum the floors of this massive building. Massive building. And I want you to imagine 
You have this vacuum cleaner and all day long, every day, you just run it over the ground again and again and again and again and again. And then years in, you turn around and you look and uh uh-oh, you notice that that vacuum cleaner, it's not even plugged into the wall. That for years, you've been rolling it over the carpet, exerting a massive amount of strength and you look and you have no power to do what you're trying to do. That's a metaphor of trying to live the Christian life without conversion, without being regenerated by God. You need to be rooted in Jesus Christ. One time forever. One time forever. Let's jump to the next one. So living by faith in Christ, walking in Him, here's what it looks like. It looks like someone being built up in Him. Being built up in Him. First was an agricultural metaphor. Now we jump to construction. Metaphor here is describing someone being built up like a building. Like a strong building. This is telling us several things. First thing it's telling us is that healthy Christians grow. They are built. They progress forward. And I want this to be clear to you. The normal Christian life is growth. Why? Because we're planted in Christ. We're connected to that life-giving source. We have the source of nourishment. A sign that you are alive is that you grow, that you progress forward. This is not abnormal Christianity. This is normal Christianity. And in fact, it's a really, really bad sign if you can't discern this in your life. Because what does that mean? It might mean I'm not hooked up to the root. It might mean I think I'm hooked up to the root, but there's no evidence in my life that I'm hooked up to that, to that root that is Jesus Christ. So here, here's the metaphor. Those who walk with Jesus in this world, those who walk hooked up to Christ, trusting in Jesus for everything, they grow. They're built up. They're made strong. They're made strong. Look at this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to turn there. I missed this for years, reading through that letter. And I missed this beautiful description that Christian growth is Christ-centered. Okay? You don't go to something... Once you start with Jesus, you don't go to something different to grow. You keep hammering that same nail. You keep coming to Christ. This is how we grow. This is how God makes us like Jesus. This is how we gain in godliness. That we go forward in the Christian life. Is that we keep coming to Christ. It's Christ-centered. Look at verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. I want you to read that again, and I want you to, sh- to show you what happened in my life. I got, I, got, I got lost in some of the verbiage there. So I want you to do this. As you come to Him, and the Him is Jesus. As you come to Jesus Christ, and that's written to believers. As you draw near to Him, then throw up a parenthesis. 
A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, close parentheses. As you come to Him, dot, 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 you, yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Christian Growth 101, you need the presence of Jesus Christ. You need Christ. You go to Him for growth. You go to Him for all things. Christian growth is in Him. Walk in Him. This is the commandment. I think that's the general sketch. That you're planted in Christ and that you're built up in Him. And then these last two... These last two descriptions of what it looks like to walk in Christ, they zone in to more specific things. And I believe it has a direct connection to the dangers that the Colossian church is facing. And I think we need to learn this. So we go from generic and general, and these last two we're zoning in to grow in these specific ways. The next phrase we have is established in the faith. Living by faith in Christ produces someone that is established in the faith. Established in the faith. Now, what does that mean? That means that somebody is established in Christian doctrine. Okay? And let's just connect some dots here. That means that Christian maturity according to the Word of God it is governed by what you are doing with the Scriptures in your own personal life. There is no such thing as a mature man, a godly man, a mature woman, or a godly woman that is ignorant of Christian doctrine. That is a baby in the Word of God. We are all supposed to be going towards being established in the faith. Established in the faith. This is a life that is saturated with the study of God's Word. The study of God's Word. Let me tell you something. I believe this with all of my heart. That until they put you in the ground, and nobody knows when that's going to be, I believe that you will be constantly tempted to embrace a relationship with Jesus Christ and divorce that relationship from the written Word of God. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that you will have quiet temptations to embrace that you can be growing in Christ, progressing in the Christian life, and, and, and you can be lackadaisical to the Word of God. I believe that. I, will, I believe that that temptation will be launched on you until they put you in the ground. But here's the problem. It's not true. It's not true. Christian maturity is directly connected to what you are doing with doctrine, the written Word of God. Listen, the faith, established in the faith. What is the faith? It is the foundational, fundamental doctrines of Christianity. And established is not, oh yeah, I heard somebody talk about that one time. Established is, I know that like my social security number. You understand that? Established is somebody walking up to you at 2 in the morning, jabbing you in the ribs, and saying, tell me about Christ. Who is He? And you launch into, here's who He is. You own the truth of God's Word. That you know it good enough, that you can defend it from error. That one little error, 
that's thrown into these fundamental doctrines. You smell it. Why? Because you are established in the faith. You're established in these things. So I want that to be a warning to you. There is no such thing as a man or a woman who walks in Christ in this world and ignores God's Word. No such thing as that. And not only are we supposed to be knowing it, established in it. Listen to this. Jude, Jude 3. Look what it tells us to, to do with the faith that we're established in. Jude 3. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We've said this before. Every Christian is a contender. Every single one of us. In the spheres that God has us in in this world, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Contending for the faith. Here's somebody lost something uh, about Christ that's off that will send them into eternal punishment because it's another Jesus, another gospel. God has you in that place to speak the truth in love. To bring the truth of the Word of God in love in those different spheres. Every single Christian is a contender. Look at that. Spiritual maturity. Knowing the Word of God good enough to where somebody can say, Establish me. Establish me. And then turn in the corner and say, Not only that, but that brother and that, and that sister, they're contending for the truth. Contending for the truth. Now, in the context of Colossians, you think about what you know is happening in this letter. There's a battle. And we said, It's a truth war. Now, you think about this. What chance do you have of surviving that battle if that phrase is not true of you? Established in the faith. What chance do you have? This is not a spiritual battle that you can wiggle your way around with some rationale, some logic, and some intellect. This is supernatural. Do you understand that? We don't fight this stuff with human weapons. That doesn't work. We're in a spiritual battle that the only weapon that works is the sword of the Spirit in our hand. That's it. If you don't have that, then you are walking around with no weapons. No weapons. You're not able to discern the truth from God's Word for yourself. You're wide open. You're wide open to this assault that's raging around you. You have to be established in the faith. Look at this final one. Living by faith in Christ, that produces someone who is abounding or overflowing thanksgiving. And I was really, really, really encouraged by this. And I'll tell you why. Those two things together are gas and match. And I'll explain what I mean. If it stopped with the phrase of established in the faith, and that's pure spiritual maturity, that leaves the door open to this cold, scholastic intellect that knows bullet point after bullet point of Christian doctrine and can give a rip about Jesus Christ. That walks around in this world cold to Christ, talks about the Gospel as facts on a page, but doesn't talk about Jesus, that that's the Savior of my soul. And look at this together. Established in the faith. Ready to do battle. 
but not just in a cold, intellectual way, overflowing with thanksgiving. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That our study of God's Word, wrapping our minds around God's truth, is producing praise in our hearts to the living God. Overflowing. That metaphor is like a river at flood stage. Water coming over the banks of the, of the church of Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this glorious gospel. And that's a reminder to us that Christian doctrine, the faith, it's not just true, it's beautiful. It's not just a fact that you believe, it's a truth that you love. It's not something that you just own, that you own it for yourself. It owns you. It owns you. In your bones, it owns you. And you overflow with thanksgiving. That's Christian maturity. That's a man or a woman that has been not only mastered the Word of God, but has been mastered by the Word of God. Overflowing with thanksgiving. Not only is it a sketch of maturity, a person like that, is, is, is in a safe place in the midst of this battle. Satan has carefully devised schemes. If that's, if, that's, if that's the way that you roll that cold, scholastic, intellectual, hands-off, bullet point theology, if that's the way you do it, Satan has crafty schemes for you. And he can work you over. But the safest place you can be is right in those two places. Established in the faith and a heart overflowing with thanksgiving to Christ. You see that same thing, those same things married together again in Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 15. The Word of Christ dwelling in you richly. Not just facts on a page. It's dwelling in you richly. And then that same verse closes with another reference to thanksgiving, to thankfulness to your God. A believer who knows the truth of God's Word has a layer of safety. But that same believer that loves the truth of God's Word is 10 million times safer from error, from satanic strategy. So you need to know the truth of God's Word and you need to be happy in Jesus Christ. And if you're not, you are, you are, you are wide open for an attack. And this is what he shifts to. He wants us to beware of something in the midst of this battle. This is the most specific that has gotten so far. Look at verse 8. Let's read the second command. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, we said this already, a spiritual war is raging around us. It's not the only thing that's true of the Christian life, but it's always true. Do you understand that? There are other metaphors, but this one is always in play. It's always true. Something really helpful that you have to identify is if there's a war happening, you need to know the battlefield. Where is that war raging? Where is it? If you're a general... You need to know where to send the troops to fight the battle, right? And if you're one of those troops and you are walking through the midst of a battlefield and you have no idea that you are, what's about to happen to you? You're about to get popped. 
and get shot. Okay? You need to know where the battlefield is in this war. Verse 8 tells us that the battlefield is in the human mind. In the human mind. We are, we are commanded by God to be on the lookout for philosophies. Philosophies. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But just think about this. Where do you receive a philosophy? And the only answer to that is you receive it in the human mind. This is where the battlefield rages. This is a truth war, a thought war. And it rages in the human mind. There are many, many, many ways that spiritual warfare gets hijacked to mean something that it does not mean in Scripture. You need to drag this deep down into your understanding. It is above everything else. It is a truth war. It is a truth war. So let's, let's, let's push in to this verse. And I want you, right now, in this moment, I want every one of you to look down at verse 8, read it slow, and I want you to remind yourself, I have an enemy. Make that personal. Satan desires to take you captive. Not just somebody over there that you don't know. He wants you. He wants to take you captive. And look how He's coming at you. He knows that He can kidnap you like a slave. If He can introduce these philosophies, these ideologies, these worldviews to distort the truth of Christ into your life. And if you receive them, he knows that He has you. I want you to feel that warning today. Listen to this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We are told to be sober, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, we know we're supposed to be on the lookout. If a lion was walking around in this room, there would be nobody in this room sleeping. Nobody in this room would be thinking about lunch or your to-do list this week or those emails that you haven't returned. Everybody's what? There's a lion in the room and he's about to devour somebody. It's, it's an automatic thing. But the war that we're in is an unseen thing. And, and we're in this battle to wake up to these realities that are at play. Soberness, watchfulness. And I don't think that we mainly apply verses like that, that that roaring line is coming at our minds. Your thought life. Your thought life. This is a truth war. A truth war. Here's another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. So clear. I praise God for this verse. It tells me how the enemy of my soul is coming at me. It tells me what to look out for. It tells me his strategy from the very beginning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Talking about Genesis, very beginning. Listen. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. He wants to wreck your devotion to Christ. How's He going to do it? 
leading your thoughts astray. That's where the battle rages. That is where the devouring lion lurks in the thought life. In the thought life. Spiritual warfare is not about going to these weird places and calling down this demon and this demon and this demon. That's not, that's not the truth really. The truth war is ideas that are lodged and landing in the minds of men and women. And if they embrace them, he's got them. He will drag them like a slave into captivity. It is a truth war. Truth war. The word that he uses here, specifically supposed to be on the lookout for philosophy. Philosophy. See that in verse 8. Philosophy is a system of wisdom. And the word philosopher literally means this, a lover of wisdom. Now, it would, be, it would be somewhat of a mistake for you to equate the English word philosophy and what we mean when we say that to this word in this letter to Colossians. That's a really dangerous thing to read the way that we understand words back into Scripture. You don't do that. You say, how did they use that word? Okay. That's... That's how to not jack up text uh, 101, right? Now, the only reason I mention that is that the way that they use that word is a lot broader than we use that word, okay? It's a broad thing, broad thing. So I want to give you some synonyms that I think will help you help wake you up. What am I on the lookout for? Look out for. These are bodies of knowledge, systems of thought, ideologies, worldviews, opinions, speculations, systems of life. All those can be described as philosophies. Be on the lookout for this stuff. Be on the lookout for this stuff. And then look what it clearly tells you. Satan desires access to your mind through these systems of thought. And then you are warned that if he gets it, you will be taken away captive. You will be dragged away like a prisoner of war. And so we need to wake up about what's at stake with, the, with the receiving thoughts, ideologies, worldviews. We need to be filtering everything that we hear because there's some things that can land in there that can lead us to enslavement to Satan. Enslavement to our enemy. Or be on the lookout for this stuff. I believe the main aim of these thoughts, ideas, ideologies, worldviews, opinions, all this stuff is meant to dethrone Jesus Christ in your life. It doesn't really matter how it comes. It's like almost like Baskin Robbins of, of flavors. Of it can come this way, this way, this way. He doesn't really care. As long as it can dethrone Jesus, he's happy with it. And you see that in the Colossian heresy. We talked about this before. The Colossian heresy, the false teaching in this local church, is not just one thing. It's not. It has Jewish aspects, mystic aspects, pagan aspects. It's like throwing all these worldviews in, in a blender and hitting blend and just chunking that into Christianity and into your mind. And whatever sticks is fine as long as it dethrones Jesus. As long as, long as it is successful in taking 
his place. I want to give you a few attributes of these philosophies. The two words that follow in the ESV, empty and deceitful, that's not two different things that you need to be on the lookout for philosophies and these things. Okay? Those are really descriptions of the philosophy. You are to look out for, for all these worldviews, and these are descriptions of these philosophies. They are empty, and they are deceitful. I say it like this. Be on the lookout for the philosophy that is empty and deceitful. Empty. It's like selling everything that you have to get a chest of, uh, a chest of treasure. And you sell it all. And, you, and, and you're like that man you know, in, in the Gospels. Matthew 13. And he's got the treasure in the field. Sold all that he had to get it. And then you open up the treasure chest. Nothing more. Empty. Empty. As no payoff. It doesn't do what it promises to do. Second, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 23 tells you this. This stuff, everything that it could possibly do in your life, all this activity, it can't do this. It has no power in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No. This stuff is like rearranging uh, deck furniture on the Titanic. It can't do anything. It can't do anything. All this activity is like smoke and mirrors. It is empty. There's nothing to it. It's hollow. It can't accomplish what Christ can accomplish. It, it tries to take its place, His place, but it never can. And it's deceitful. It's empty and it's deceitful. And that helps me be on the lookout. This stuff is deceitful. This stuff is not coming at you of, Hey, embrace this, and this will cause you to walk away from Jesus Christ. It doesn't come at you like this. It's subtle. Deceitful. And your enemy, Satan and demon, knows these intellectual itches to scratch in your life. Knows just what to present in front of you. He knows that. That's why every single one of us are to be watchful. Not, oh, this is really you to be watchful and you kind of be watchful. All of us. All of us. He knows how to attack us. He knows how to attack us and he doesn't do it the same way. The rest of verse 8 tells us two, two additional things about the philosophies. These ideas, these systems of thought, these opinions, these speculations, they reject the authority of the written Word of God. And therefore, that means they automatically come from the mind of a man. You have two options. Every thought that you've ever heard in your life you have two options as far as the foundation. Divine revelation or human speculation. Divine revelation or human speculation. Divine revelation is God giving us His Word. The God of creation piercing through the fog of human opinion and telling us His truth, revealing us His truth. And human speculation is walking around in the fog. No authority. Chunking something up in the wind. And that's what this stuff is. It is human speculation. Verse 8 tells us that it comes from the tradition of man. It comes from the tradition of man. I want you to think about when it's all said and done, of you building your entire life on this stuff, on something that comes from man, something that's empty, something that's deceitful, and it does nothing. 
I want you to think about how sad that is. That you would give your entire life, that you would be infected by the doctrines of men, traditions of men, ideologies of men, instead of the Word of God. And then to sharpen that warning just a little more, not only does it come from men, verse 8 adds these words, according to the elemental spirits of the world. That stuff that Satan desires to land in your mind, it came from men, but it's a weapon of war in the hand of demons. They energize this stuff. This is demonic strategy in your life. Not to make you see some weird thing on the wall and scare you to death. That's not it. Truth war. Truth war. They have weapons in their hand. They're called philosophies, ideologies, opinions, speculations. And they want this stuff to land in your mind. Because they want to drag you off as a slave. That's the warning. That's the warning. Now, what would it look like if you knew that demons from hell were coming at you with this stuff? With these ideas flying around all around you, what would it look like? It would look like two verses in Scripture for sure. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, it would look like this. Test everything. Test everything. If you really believed the truth about what the Holy Spirit is telling us about this battle that's raging, and these ideas, opinions, thoughts, all this stuff. You really believe that. And, 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 and the idea that Satan wants to work you over with this stuff. Then you would test everything. You would test everything. Another verse to stack on that is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. You would do this. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought captive to obey Christ. Do you see that language? Are you fighting the war in your own mind? In your own mind? Are you going to battle in your own mind to reject falsehood and embrace the truth of God's rule, God's of the spiritual battle, the truth of God's word? I'll give you some specifics. Drawing this heresy into the modern day. Just like it was a pluralism uh, a thing for them. They had stuff coming at them from, from not just one stream, but many different streams. You, you swim in that stuff every day in America. You swim in these, these competing ideologies, these competing worldviews. And they're all around you. And most of the time we don't even know about it. And here's the warning. Any of these isms... Any of this stuff that I'm about to mention that dethrones Christ in your life is satanic strategy to enslave you. So you live in America. You eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff. Whether it's this, whether it's materialism, individualism, rationalism, humanism, relativism. These are all systems and ideas that affect how people live in this world, how they talk about everything. And if you're not very careful, that stuff will infect the way that you think about Christ and the Christian life. And you can see this all over the church. All over the church. You can see it infected by modernism. Secular, anti, 
biblical psychology. Do you know how much marriage ministry in the church is based off just that? You don't need Christ. You don't need the weapons of grace. You don't need the Holy Spirit, the triumphant, resurrected one from the dead. You just need date nights. You need personality surveys. And God's Word says the exact opposite. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not your passions that are at war within you? You need to kill sin. That stuff have any chance of doing that. You see this infecting the way that, that we are taught to raise children. The way that we do everything. This stuff is coming at you. And it wants to own you. It wants to work you over. And so it's subtle. It's subtle. I've never met a Christian that said this. I don't worship the Creator. I worship created things. I've never met someone that named the name of Christ that said that. But how many times have you heard this? The subtle version of that. The one that names the name of Christ but bows the knee to the prosperity gospel. And all they want is to be healthy and rich and prosperous in this world. They don't care about Christ. That is a manifestation of materialism. That person is being uh, uh, subdued by this ideology. They're being perverted. They're being enslaved by this stuff. And that might not be you, but the same thing is true of one who names the name of Christ and pours themselves out in their job, their career, their school, their house, their bodies, their, the material things in this world to the neglect of their soul. Same thing. They are being subdued. They are being seduced by the evil one through materialism. They don't know that. They're not saying, I'm worshiping the created things, but they're being perverted. He's taking them captive through them receiving those worldviews, those ideologies, those value systems. That's what you need to be on the lookout for. The subtle version of this stuff. The subtle version of this stuff. We're not going to pick on other people. We want to turn the corner and, and look in the mirror. And we want to ask this question. How is the enemy coming at me right now? What is the enemy trying to get me to bite on in my mind, in my thought life, in my value system? How is he coming at me? I don't want to know just how he's coming at other people. I want to know how he's coming at me. And it gets even more so. Colossians shows us this. That he even uses the word of God. To distract us. He even uses the word of God. To distract us. Later in chapter 2. You're going you're gonna to see some of this stuff. You're going to see some of these. Who name the name of Christ. And yet they are distracted by these Jewish rituals. They're running back to the law of Moses. They're leaving the substance who is Christ. And they're running back to these shadows. That Christ fulfilled. Even using the word of God, the Jewish scriptures, to trip you up. Are you aware of that? How is he coming at you? And I'll just give you just a personal testimony on that. I have seen this several times over of somebody get distracted and cross-threaded and, and, and off course by something that they misinterpreted in the Bible. Or I even say it like this. This might even be more, more prevalent. Of getting distracted by not stopping where Scripture stops. 
of being fixated on, on these secret things of trying to know things that God did not reveal to us. So you think about this. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may keep all the words of this law. What's secret belongs to the Lord. What's revealed belongs to us. Here's something that you need to know in life. If it's revealed, you need to know it. If it's a secret thing, you'll never know it. It belongs to the Lord. But you know how distracted you can be? By spending your life going after these secret things. By not stopping where Scripture stops. By going beyond what is written. And it will distract you from Christ. It will dethrone Jesus in your life. You'll be talking about biblical categories. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Somebody knows who the Antichrist is. Somebody knows the year of the second coming of Jesus. Somebody has a, 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 a prophecy chart and a timeline of this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. You seen that? Somebody knows the secret names of some angels or some demons. Somebody knows of some additional books that God gave us. Another testament, another revelation of Jesus. Fixated on this stuff. They believe it. They don't know this, but they are convinced. I'm going to wrestle one of those secret things from God. I'm going to wrestle them from Him. Filled with pride. You ever met somebody that's cross-threaded like that, that loves Jesus Christ? And the answer is no. They are not holding fast to the head. They're not holding fast to the head. And that last phrase in verse 8 tells us probably... The main is the main help that we get. What kind of stuff should we look out for? And the answer is anything that is not according to Christ. Not according to Christ. That doesn't end in the worship of Christ. That doesn't give Christ the supremacy in all things. It's to be rejected. Even if those ideologies and ideas come from Scripture itself. Scripture itself. We are to be on the lookout that no one takes us captive in these ways. So, question. What tertiary things in Holy Scripture are you being tempted to exalt to primary things right now? What things are you giving out of, out of proportion attention to in the revelation from God that's taken the place of a pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. What do those strategies look like in your life? It's coming at you. We all need to wake up. We need to be sober. I want to close by reminding us quickly of the resources that we have in this truth world. Verse 9 and 10. For in Him... The whole fullness of deity dwells mightily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. I want to remind you today. What are you supposed to think about when you think about Christ? The Christ that you love. The Christ that you serve. And we get two reminders in verse 9. You're supposed to think. Deity. Body. Deity and body. And it's, supposed to, and it's supposed to blow your mind through all eternity. How does that go together? 
And this is why we worship Him as the Lord Jesus Christ. The word deity means it's a name. It's the infinite God. It is the God who created all things that has no limits. You can't understand everything about Him. You can't know Him and all of His glorious attributes. Because you have a finite, pea-sized brain just like me. We can't know all that stuff. He's glorious. Beyond comprehension. And then add this phrase on. Deity. Fullness. Fullness. You get that? <laughs> I mean, how, 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 how? Just stop at deity. But we're talking about the fullness of deity. God in all of His fullness. Not watered down at all. In all of His fullness. Listen to the next. In body. In body. The infinite God invading history, invading His creation in a body. In a body. The glorious one. The one whom angels hid their faces from. In Isaiah chapter 6, and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Isaiah 42, the one who measures the waters in the hollow of His hand. Fullness of that God. Bodily. That's Jesus Christ. To see Him in His bodily form is to see the fullness of the deity. Fullness of the deity. Now, that's who Jesus is. And then it turns the corner. And it reminds us that we have the unbelievable relation with God. That God, of that fullness of deity in bodily form, turns to every believer in Jesus Christ and gives them fullness. Filled. Made complete in Christ. So you think about that. What a beautiful analogy. That if every one of us has a cup, we're standing beside the ocean, we have it filled to the brim, and we have drawn from the riches of Christ, every believer without exception, and yet at the same time we have diminished His glory, none. From His fullness, we receive grace Upon grace from Christ. And so here's the resource that we have in this battle. This truth war rages. And the Word of God is reminding every believer in this room that you have been filled in Jesus. You have been filled in Christ. And it simply means this. In the context of this battle, why is that good news? And it's glorious news. For this reason. If you're full, you do not eat. You understand that? If you're full, you don't eat. If you are complete, you don't need anything else. That's true of every believer, but we're in this battle to remember that on a daily basis. Basis. All this stuff is flying around us. All these ideas. And they are promising to give us something to complete us. Or, or, or to, to, to help Jesus complete us in some way. And 
we are to remember that we are filled already in Christ. We have everything that we need in Jesus. Everything that we need in Christ. This is the safest place that you can be in a truth reward. It's satisfied to the brim in Christ Jesus. That you, in the depths of your soul, know that you don't need anything else. And when someone is taken to that place, do you know what happens to these ideologies? All these uh, false arguments that launch themselves against Christ. you know what happens to them? They lose their grip. They lose their power. They don't allure you anymore. Why? Because you're filled. You're full. You don't have a taste for that stuff because you're filled with Jesus Christ. Think about this. We sang this earlier in song. I don't know if you thought about this. But we said, turn our eyes upon Jesus. And, 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 and look full in His wonderful face. And then it says this. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Think about that. The safest place you can be in this world is happy in gospel. So here's the reality. Every believer is filled in Christ and we're in a battle to remember. We're in a battle to remember. We have received the greatest of gifts and the greatest of weapons in this battle. We have Jesus. And we're in a battle to remember it every single day. So let's ask God to help us. Lord, we bow the knee. God, we thank you for your revelation, Lord. God, help us to remember that we don't even deserve to know these things. We don't even deserve to gather around Your words. God, You graciously have spoken to us. God, we ask for understanding all over this room that You would help us to understand Your truth. God, we pray that we, You would help us to walk away from this place today with watchful hearts, God. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters all over this room, Lord, that You would guard our minds in Jesus Christ. God, protect us from our strong enemy and deliver us from His schemes. Deliver this church from His schemes, Lord. And pull back the veil, God, in our hearts. Let our hearts be encouraged and remind us often this coming week, Lord, that we are filled in Him. We ask this in Jesus' name.